Welcome to the SoCal Hymns podcast. I am Sarah Richardson, and today we are featuring a conversation with Tamara St. Clair on blockchain. Tamara St. Clair is a health IT expert, guiding organizations looking to grow and expand their product portfolio. She's a frequent advisor in blockchain, digital health, macro, population health, and analytics and consults for several startups and venture accelerators. Previously, Tamara was Chief Innovation Officer at Xerox Healthcare, where her role was to create and lead the growth of new solutions sitting at the nexus of R&D, M&A, and partnerships. With over two decades of experience in the healthcare industry at large corporations and small startups, Tamara has a proven track record of developing new lines of revenue by building networks and business connections. The blockchain has potential to replace and re-architect many incumbent systems to remove friction and provide for new business models, greater efficiencies, and trust in healthcare. Several applications being explored are master patient identification, autonomous auto-adjudication, longitudinal patient history, interoperability, supply chain management, clinical trials, and unleashing data for research. Stakeholders are starting to align and collaborate in unique ways to bring together the ecosystem and brain trust that could allow us to realize new opportunities. Innovative startups are playing in this space and are cutting a wide swath in the industry. Even with this rosy outlook, there are still technical challenges as well as cultural and philosophical hurdles to widespread adoption and implementation. Good afternoon. We are honored to have Tamara St. Clair with us today to talk about blockchain and healthcare and such a giant topic to cover. Uh, We found an industry expert to really give us a sense for how we can start to think about this and integrate it into our daily conversations in live. So welcome, Tamara. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we just start at the beginning with something like blockchain. We hear about it everywhere. And yet most people, if you ask them what it is, it's just not a conversation anybody's really comfortable having. And if they are, they add a ton of filler words because it can be hard to explain or hard to, to describe uh, both just in everyday life, but also in healthcare. So could you help us out by letting us know really an introduction to what it is? And we'll go from there. I'd be happy to, and uh, let's hope we can get beyond the buzzword. I think, Sarah, uh, a lot of folks out there are actually saying that blockchain is the buzzword of the year for 2018. And if we look at Gardner, who tracks where technologies really sit in terms of their adoption, on the hype cycle, Gartner puts blockchain at the peak of inflated expectations. And what that means is they believe it's five to 10 years before it hits mainstream adoption. And Forbes has cited that in 2017, we've invested over $4.5 billion in blockchain startups. And what was really interesting is taking a look at HIMSS in 2017, there was one blockchain vendor, a professed vendor, and no sessions associated with the HIMSS um, program. IEEE had a, a session that went in parallel but there were actually no sessions. But if you look at 2018, this year there was an explosion in blockchain. And what I'm excited about is I think that we're moving from talk about the technology to talk about problems that blockchain can solve. And what I'd like to try to do is give a little bit of an explanation that's kind of a layman's version of what blockchain is. Um, If you look at its history, it's the underlying technology for Bitcoin, but in its simplest form, Blockchain securely records transactions between parties through encrypted distributed ledgers, which retains all transaction history. So once it's recorded, it can never be altered or deleted. And how it works is for new blocks or transactions or data 
to be added, it must be verified by the network of nodes. Then it's accepted to the ledger and added to the blockchain. And there's a lot of uh, technical stuff around mining and consensus protocols behind that. But I think if we can understand the layman's terms of how blockchains works, we can get kind of beyond the technology and start talking about the features, benefits, and where it can impact healthcare. So one of the things that excites me is talking about the features and benefits of blockchain. One of the threads that I see in the blockchain platform is that we can eliminate middlemen. I love how blockchain is called the trust machine. And if we think about some of the really specific benefits, it's secure, it has high integrity, and it has a neutral third-party mechanism by the fact that the nodes actually run consensus and validate what can be added to the blockchain. So there's unprecedented security, Sarah, because there's no centralized authority. There's no single point of failure. The data is spread across a network of replicated databases in a decentralized manner. And the more decentralized it is, the more nodes, the more secure it is. And what I said at the very beginning, it eliminates the middleman. There's no need for intermediaries because it records transactions, it establishes ID, and it executes contracts. And one of the things that we know around healthcare is it's rife with third parties, middlemen, and that's a lot of the overhead in healthcare and healthcare IT. So one of the killer apps for blockchain is something called smart contracts. And these are agreements, they're codified on the blockchain, and the code is executed when the restrictions are met. So there's no outside systems required. So I bet you're wondering, Sarah, where we are today with this technology. Well, it's interesting because you think about the reason that Bitcoin was the first successful usage is that it proved that we moved trust to the software and we could change how digital assets were transacted across a, a spectrum of value chains. So when we say that it's referred to as a trust machine, what really defines that trust and how likely are we to see the application of that in the near future for healthcare? That's a great question. So what's really interesting is trust is given to validating the transaction, and then transactions are validated at the nodes. So we're not looking for one centralized source of truth or trust. So for example, um, if you are looking, at, I mean, in the financial industry, often you'll look to a third party to establish trust between two transacting parties. So if I want to transfer money to you, I have to go through my bank or some trusted third party to be able to transfer that money. In the blockchain, that just happens within the block. Your identity is um, assured and the transaction goes through the blockchain. So there's no need for this third party intermediary. And how that can actually be translated to healthcare is the fact that many uh, bits of information, many pieces of information, many... Um, claims processing, revenue cycle management, healthcare data has to go through intermediaries. When we think about removing that intermediary, we start to think about whole new ways information can be disseminated and um, information can be released. So you hear removing the intermediary, which probably makes a lot of our vendors nervous because that means that we may or may not need them. And you see vendors, though, like Change Healthcare is starting to build out a blockchain specific to the claims and payment processing spaces. 
How does our relationship with our vendors change with the advent of blockchain? Um, that's a great question. I think that it's really unknown at this uh, at this time. Um, I think you've hit on something. Change Healthcare is, is certainly one of those folks that are at the forefront um, publishing a solution for claims management to deliver on transparent claim life cycles. Um, I think one of the interesting things that skeptics and analysts say around the adoption of blockchain is one of the biggest hurdles is going to be industry inertia. Eliminating the middlemen, I think, make vendors makes vendors very, very concerned. Um, I think that if we start at the ground floor and think about new ways that we can actually um, allow claims to be processed, transactions to happen, um, we're going to start finding that these can be faster, they can be more transparent, and we're likely to find new models that come up from startups and folks that are willing to kind of put things on their head, you know, outside of our, our typical vendor infrastructure. And you've shared really two levels of value. You've sh- talked about the shared ledger and also about smart contracts. And so when you think about the inertia towards new technologies, and I, what comes to mind for me is something like credentialing, because there's no PHI involved, there's no money, um, and it really solves an administrative burden that we all have today. But when we think about the PHI and uh, financial aspects of this, how do we think about privacy in a blockchain paradigm? I believe that privacy is going to have to take on a whole new paradigm. It was interesting. I was in a blockchain consortium and some folks from Axiom were actually talking about this very subject. When we think about privacy today, it feels like it's a little bit all or nothing. And, you know, of course, with the the recent Facebook scandal, I think privacy is really front of mind to a bunch of, you know, to to most folks. I think one of the paradigms that we may actually see with regards to privacy is a a default privacy mode that is very similar to uh, the way we protect PHI today to a permissioning that is likely to be given to the consumer or patient in terms of releasing uh, healthcare information. And that can be, they can be incented to release it. I mean, there are a lot of startups out there that are looking to incent folks to be part of clinical trials or research and will incent them to release certain pieces of information through Bitcoin or other ways. Or we can see that folks may want to permission release of information when they go to a new physician or they want to build a a more longitudinal or holistic view of their healthcare situation with a provider that they're engaging with. So I know that those are two different extremes, but I think we're going to see new models of privacy and security based on the blockchain and based on new use cases and business models. And healthcare isn't typically known for being at the forefront of of cutting-edge adoption. I mean, you think about... Uh, how the financial industry was so far ahead of us with things like even like, you know, centralizing ATMs and getting that involved. And we don't even have truly interoperability or a national patient identifier out there yet today. So when you think about the status of blockchain and healthcare, are the industries too far removed from one another? Or, or where is there a natural alignment? You mean touched on being able to, to bring records together, et cetera. But when you think about how far out healthcare usually is in, in one space and then how new and advanced blockchain is in the other, where do you see, what do you see being the glue for, for us there? Yeah, um, I'm going to take a step back and talk a little bit about where we are. And I, I do think that in healthcare, we're still in early days. 
I mean, I'm not sure if I'm as pessimistic as Gartner and where they put blockchain on the hype cycle, but at most value propositions are still in the prototype stage, even though they're moving quickly. Um, IBM did a study recently, and they showed that 16% of executives have solid blockchain plans in place, and 56% of those executives plan to have something in place by 2020. But as you mentioned, there's still a lot of barriers to overcome, particularly in healthcare. We still don't have any standards, so people may be operating on different blockchain infrastructures, and even within those infrastructures, there's different ways to to go about things and between those you know there's still not a way to talk to each other i think the business model is still a very big deal you talked about disruption of intermediaries i think that that's probably going to be a really big thing that we have to come to terms with there's still some technical challenges sarah but most analysts analysts believe that the biggest is still going to be industry inertia so i think when we think about a natural alignment if you think about the fact that the finance industry is probably furthest ahead, I think that there's going to be some opportunity to think about um, the way blockchain has impacted the finance industry and how that may be aligned to impacts in healthcare. Um, we think interoperability is probably the holy grail. I mean, we all know that that's one of the biggest challenges um, really facing blockchain, creating an integrated view of the patient um, but blockchain promises to create a common database with healthcare information with the patient at the center. But if we think about finance um, and the fact that a lot of consortiums are bringing together healthcare industry veterans, new startups, and folks that are in the finance industry, I think there's an opportunity to create unique patient identifiers that put patients in the center and start to create owners ownership around healthcare information. And I think that'll be a nexus for a lot of new opportunities to sprout out of. So for a challenge and really in us supporting a widespread adoption of blockchain, if it, we really do finally utilize blockchain to do things for both interoperability and for a national patient identifier, does it happen quickly because we finally found the magic wand? Um, people ask me if I'm, if I'm having different conversations in some cases about things that I did even 10 years ago. And I said, well, absolutely. There's always the conversation about digital transformation. We've made a ton of impact in certain areas. And yet we still go back to the fact that physician burnout and how many clicks in our EMR and how we're gathering all those data to report on it in an effective way. How does blockchain start to solve for some of the problems we've been talking about for, for eons? Yeah, and, and I still think that that impact is probably truly five to 10 years out. Um, you know, again, if we think about transactions that can be transparent, um, that can happen more quickly, that can happen um, with low, lower overhead, then you start to, it starts to feel like it has the opportunity to, re, to ease administrative burden. And there, I think we start to think about, um, you know, the physician overhead and we start to think about ways that we can take major chunks out of, you know, the, the healthcare financial burden. But I, I think in terms of early adoption, Sarah, it's, I, I've heard a lot of analogies to the internet where, you know, when we first thought about the internet, it was small islands, uh, it grew to enterprise, and then it became interconnected. Uh, blockchain, I suspect, is going to take a ramp very similar we're going to find, you know, really small uh, use cases that are going to grow and and 
be interconnected and finally be, you know, the backbone of a lot of the administrative infrastructure to healthcare. So, you know, you talked about, you know, change healthcare and the fact that they're looking at claims lifecycle. If if you've ever mapped uh, claims adjudication, claims administration from start to finish, um, it's it really is a a bumbling cluster of bureaucracy with a lot of overhead and a lot of middlemen. And if you think about the fact that we can overlay, you know, smart contracts on, you know, claims administration, where if you meet certain criteria, we know a patient's ID, we know they've gone to a doctor within the network, uh, and we know that uh, what their um, deductible is. You can imagine putting uh, a claim as a smart contract onto the blockchain and have it be administered with very little overhead, you know, very little administrative um, need to intervene, and it being kept to kind of the letter of you know whatever claim uh, contract uh, quote unquote is there. Then you start to imagine that physicians no longer have to spend you know the roughly twenty percent in the primary care atmosphere. Uh, having to deal with all this burden of claims, you know, whether it's making sure that the patient's insurance is updated, taking in new information, faxing over stuff. So I think that in the long term, we have a chance to get there. But I think in the short term, we're going to find little pockets and little islands where blockchain can actually bite away at some of the inefficiencies that are going on in healthcare. Well, consumerism continues to be a huge driver for us in healthcare. We think about um, economic models that are being pushed by the patient wanting to have more transparency, <clears throat> excuse me, in their care. And so, if you think about something like even a use case of uh, digital or diagnostic imaging, where today everything has to be done by referral within a network, and perhaps we use. Uh, blockchain to say, you know, I can engage in a marketplace, I can find lower cost, open access and increase utilization to services that I need. Is, is that something that the consumer starts to drive? So we think about the tokenization of Bitcoin. Do we start to be able to put healthcare services into that same type of environment? I do think that's a long-term vision. I do know, Sarah, that a lot of startups are starting with that type of philosophy when they're thinking about interoperability. You know, I, I can think about Nucleus Health. That's, you know, your first example about sharing medical imaging. What they, they want to do is be able to allow you know, the, you know, from physician to physician to share medical imaging. But if you look at interoperability and a lot of other startups, um, Patientory, uh, Coral Health, um, Simply Vital Health, I think what's interesting is they're putting the patient at the nexus. And if you think about where Apple is going in terms of uh, allowing patients to start storing their health records, I think we start to see uh, a fabric of where consumerism and a patient-centered health record could get us to that vision that you started to, that you articulated, where all of a sudden a patient really owns all of their medical data. They can decide where it goes and you know, they can decide whether and how to monetize it. There's also, you know, a, a number of companies out there that are looking to figure out how to market and monetize patient data. Nebula Genomics is looking at blockchain technology to enhance genomic data protection and enable buyers to efficiently acquire genomic data. Um, 
so I, I think that that vision that you are painting is certainly a long-term vision. And I think it's interesting as we're starting to see the stepping stones and the fabric being weaved to actually get us there. Where does, where does a CIO or a healthcare professional start in terms of educating their board and their executives on something like blockchain? I mean, when I, I, I picture it right now, it's like almost like a Dilbert cartoon where the boss walks up and says, let's solve it with the blockchain. And it's starting to, it's starting to get out there. And I think, you know, what, how do you start that? Is it too soon to start the education of what blockchain is? And really, there's the baseline use cases. And so when you think about how industry professionals in HIT need to stay informed, but also how they carefully share that information or that education with with their board, with their senior execs, even with their teammates, obviously. It's not just about us teaching the business. It's about us allowing IT to feel safe in a conversation that people assume we are already experts in. What does that even look like from your perspective? Yeah, I'm sure a lot of boards are asking their CIOs uh, about whether they should be in the blockchain game or not. So I think you hit the, if, if we gave any advice, the first thing is to become educated. There are a few consortiums out there. Um, Hashed Health has, has put one together, PocketDoc, and there are a lot of um, healthcare consulting firms. Ernst & Young has done a really nice job of putting together material to educate newcomers into the blockchain and um, I have to give a, hash, uh, a shout out to Hash Health, which is really starting to or has done a really nice job of educating the industry. So the first thing is to figure out, you know, what blockchain is and what's the impact on healthcare. And then I think the second is I think you have to develop a strategy. And I believe strategies are evergreen. Um, so you need to start with what your your stake in the ground is. And you have to decide whether that's going to move or not as you start to learn a little bit more about what it is. And that that strategy hopefully is offensive, but it may be a defensive strategy. We talked about a lot of vendors that may be disintermediated because of blockchain. So you may actually have to start thinking about what what's blockchain going to do to your part of the industry. Um, my third bit of advice is don't lock yourself in. Feature sets are changing and evolving rapidly. So I think you need to find your use case and then choose the right infrastructure and not bet on an infrastructure before you really understand what you're trying to do. And then um, everybody's trying to put their toe in the water with a pilot of an idea. I don't think you have to go all in, but to really understand what blockchain can do for your organization, I think there are are a lot of ways that you can pilot that opportunity to figure out if there's an ROI, whether you have the right um, change management in place, and how it can impact the organization. And as I mentioned, I think there are there are a lot of resources out there in healthcare. There's a Hyperledger Foundation, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the HIMS Blockchain Workgroup. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you met you mentioned uh, Hatched Health. In fact, Anthony Bagando is where I feel like I get. Um, most of my current knowledge about blockchain, whether it's being connected to things he talks about or says, et cetera. So you're right, they've been out there sharing a lot about what this means. How soon before we know if blockchain's real, if it's really something that that takes a foothold or is it just something we're talking a lot about and it sounds really fantastic, but I mean, how soon, you talk about Gartner having a five to 10 year hype cycle on this, when will we know if it's real? Uh, that That's the $42 million question, right? Um, you know, to put a little bit of meat behind it, we were talking about hashed health. I think it's really interesting. Not sure whether Anthony shared this with you or not, but 
they hash health has had to has had to evolve their business model you know they were really in the education game and most recently they've had to grow to really start a model where they're executing prototypes with their partners where and that really came from industry pressure so we know that we're we've kind of moved Sarah from just educating the industry to really trying to figure out how to make things work. I think when we see one of our startups um, actually bringing in, you know, real revenue of the tune to five to $10 million, particularly in these areas that are ripe for disintermediation, I think that's when we know blockchain's real. So Tamara, tell us about companies and organizations that are moving the needle in blockchain today. Well, first, Sarah, let's talk about governments that are moving the needle. I don't know if folks know, but Estonia is the first country in the world to embrace blockchain. They've secured over a million patients' medical records, and their vision is to contribute to patients' empowerment, medical transparency, and to improve dialogue between caregivers and patients. And Dubai is currently giving it a test run. And let's give a shout out to our own government. The ONC is behind this been behind this from the beginning. The ONC NIST Blockchain Challenge recognized the potential for blockchain with respect to interoperability. And Steve Posnack, the Director of Federal Policy Division, has been a cautious though outspoken advocate of blockchain. And giving a a couple of shout outs in the space of interoperability, we talked about Nucleus Health, but there's also Patientory, Emrify, Coral Health, Medical Chain, Pocket Doc, and Simply Vital Health. And an area that we also touched on in the claims, Medsian is looking at prior authorization and is working with the state of Delaware. And logistics security, GEM is building tools to connect large and disconnected, da- disconnected data sets on one platform. And then in the area of marketing patient data and clinical trials, DocAI, EncryptGen, and BurstIQ are also making waves in that space. So there are a lot more that I didn't mention, but that gives you a little bit of overview of the use cases and startups that are working in those areas. So you touched on something, though, that that triggered a thought for me when users probably think about in terms of privacy and blockchain again, and if governments are sponsoring it and really some of these startups, and yet part of our concern is is how safe is our information from either uh, our own governments uh, that maybe aren't as open in certain situations, or again, even the public availability of some of our data. So when an individual user thinks about, I have my own blockchain and how I manage that data, tell us what that looks like. Yeah, and it really depends, you know, something we talked about earlier, Sarah, was permissioned versus permissionless blockchains. And I think in permissioned blockchains, there's an opportunity for patients to truly own their data and to give keys uh, based on permissions to other users. And they can look at extracting single pieces of data with regards to allowing permission. So there is a real opportunity in a permission blockchain for patients to be uh, very deliberate about the way they share data. Now, a permissionless blockchain or an open blockchain is where every node on the blockchain has uh, ability to see all data that is hashed to the blockchain. So it's very um, transparent. And in those settings, we probably need to be a little bit more thoughtful on the area of of privacy and transparency. I think that um, that also shows that we're likely to probably go into a permissioned or more closed setting for blockchain as we start to roll things out. 
Um, that's very different than, you know, the Bitcoin blockchain, which is permissionless, where it's completely transparent. One of the things that Don Tapscott had touched on in, in blockchain revolution is the ability to really own, manage, and have your digital crumbs not be left all over over the over the world today. Is it too late for, for someone like my age? I'm in my 40s, and I think about having my own digital avatar and cleaning up my digital crumbs, which are everywhere. I mean, I always joke that Amazon, Google, Facebook, uh, Apple, they know everything. They probably know more about me than I know myself. Is there a point where it kicks in and you really do manage and can monetize your own digital identity? Uh, I think that's one of the beautiful things about blockchain. And you're right, Tapscott actually talks about that, right? Is the fact that we can actually even take different personas on the blockchain. So, you, you know, you can be Sarah one when you're talking about your medical data and you can be Sarah number two when you're talking about your social data. And so you can create... Uh, you know, very secure walls between different pieces of your digital crumbs or different pieces of your data to only really allow folks to see what you want them to see. Now, Tamara, it's interesting because we see a need for there to be more women in technology and women focused on the really the security component. I've, I've long said that STEM should add an S and have the security component, and we bring that into schools, and we bring that into what we're trying to do in the education of, of bringing more women into healthcare, IT, and security. And it seems like blockchain has a, has a natural tendency to have a philosophical a draw for women in technology. Can you share your thoughts on, on why that may be? Oh, I completely agree, Sarah. One of the things that has been a pleasant surprise is the number of women CEOs of blockchain startups, the number of women who are thought leaders in this space. And I think you've hit it. I think it's the philosophy behind blockchain that's uh, really attracting women. And if I think about that philosophy, it's the democratization of data, value, and assets. And I believe that that kind of appeals to this kind of humanitarian DNA that naturally resides in women. And I think we're going to see that continue to grow. And that's applicable across the board. So we think about in any situation where an individual may have that need for, for that democracy of humanitarianism that you've talked about, we're seeing a push from that culturally across the board, which is why we're seeing countries come forward and start to bring this mainstream. So um, I love the idea of getting more women involved in this space, but I love the idea that it can really uh, be a unifier across the globe in a time when it feels like we may need it most. Mm, agreed. Tomorrow, our users are going to obviously um, be curious about what your future thoughts are and and how you have become such an expert in the space. If Is there a way for our users to follow you or to be able to reach out to stay informed from the things that you've shared with them today? Thanks so much, Sarah. Yeah particularly if they follow me on Twitter at Dr. St. Clair. Um, I'm always interested in keeping up on what's going on. Um, I publish on Medium as well. So um, would love to engage with the audience further. No, thank you. And I do follow you. And I'm always like, oh, wow, I hadn't thought about that piece today. Or there's always this, these nuggets of information that are, that are useful in, the, in conversation. And if you or to leave our users with one or two things uh, specifically today that you want them to walk away saying, I know this about blockchain, or I need to be thinking about it in this space. If you were just to give a couple pieces of advice for, for those that are literally, it's, it's a completely nascent uh, discipline for us, what would you say to them today? If you want to get kind of jazzed up and look at the big picture of the philosophy behind blockchain, 
the blockchain revolution is really a great fast read that doesn't get into the nitty gritty of the technology, but gives you a view of what it can do. And I know our, our audience are pretty smart. I think they'll be able to start understanding from that that book what it can actually do in, in the area of healthcare. You know, we've touched on interoperability, you know, being able to market patient data for clinical trials and research. We didn't touch on logistics and security. Um, we talked a little bit about claims and BPO, but I think that there's still a lot of imagination out there. And once folks kind of really understand the philosophy and what blockchain can do, um, I think we're going to see even more opportunities for unique use cases. When you say blockchain revolution, you mean the book by Don Tapscott? Exactly. Yeah. No, absolutely. And he was a keynote at Chime last year. So I think just that con continued connectedness of obviously uh, HIMSS and Chime and what the organization strive to bring to our community through education and, and especially obviously with having you on the program today. So Tamara, I can't thank you enough for helping users start to think about blockchain uh, in, in the daily lives of what it is we're dealing with every single day. And I doubt this will be the last time we have you on our show. So thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Sarah. I really appreciate it. Please join us next time as we feature David Chow on the role of the CIO in healthcare transformation. Special thanks to Esteban Parano, our audio and mixing engineer, for helping us to produce our podcast series.